Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. I would encourage you to turn to Exodus. We will be reading chapter 12, verses 1 through 13 in just a moment. We have been looking at God rescuing his people, destroying his enemies, and restoring his people to a place of rest. And it will be through a terrifying act of judgment and grace. One plague more. Exodus chapter 11, verse 1. But let's review our story up to this point in time. We are going to be focusing on the paragraph found in chapter 12, but let's remember what we have already encountered up to this point in our study of Exodus. You have the first plague, sign and wonder of blood, frogs, the gnats, flies, the killing of livestock, the receiving of boils, the destruction of crops through hail and locusts, and then finally pitch darkness, and then the death of the firstborn. One last plague. One last sign, one last wonder. Ten plagues, ten commandments. Ten times God will say, and God said. There's a pattern found throughout our study. There's a request made by Moses and Aaron before Pharaoh, let my people go. The reason so that they will know that I am Yahweh, the personal name of God. We have a sign or wonder, and then there's a response. The response is unexpected. We would expect after all the signs and wonders that Pharaoh and the Egyptians would bow before Yahweh and acknowledge that he alone is God. But the response we see is that he hardens his heart. They blaspheme God. They would not repent, even though they are seeing significant signs and wonders. There is a passing over mentioned in Exodus 12, verses 13 and 14. We'll note in just a moment. This passing over is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Yahweh alone. We know the structure of our text. The structure of our text from chapter 11, verse 1, all the way through chapter 13, verse 16, follows a distinct pattern. There is a terrible cost. A terrible cost when we reject God. It's not simply disobeying God. It is rejecting God. Then there is this gracious provision that God makes in behalf of the guilty, the slaying of the innocent, and then finally a sobering decision facing us all. What will we do with what God has provided? But let's read Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. We'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into our study. The Bible reads as follows. Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, 
and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is Yahweh's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am Yahweh. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Let us pray. Our Father, we read this story, and on one hand, we are absolutely terrified at the cost of rejecting you as God. Yet in the midst of all this horrific judgment, there is a display of grace that is unprecedented until Jesus comes in substance. Help us this day to understand these truths. May we accept Jesus Christ as our substitutionary sacrificial offering. And Father, may we see who we are in him because of who he is and what he has done. So Father, today we celebrate the gospel in this story. We thank you for it. Guide us in our thoughts. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three parts to this entire study. The first is the terrible cost of rejecting God. The second is the gracious provision provided by God, gifted, that we are to receive as his people, and then a sobering decision. What do we do in light of what we have? That's what we see within the text. But let's begin with this idea of the terrible cost. The text tells us that if we reject God's provision, that we have the killing of the firstborn. In chapter 11, verses 4 through 9, the Bible reads as follows. So Moses said, thus says Yahweh, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know the Lord, Yahweh, makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that I will go out. And he went from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord Yahweh said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. There is a terrible cost to rejecting God. The first is the killing of the firstborn. The Passover is the death of that firstborn male child. This is in parallel to Pharaoh's edict in chapter 1 of killing all of the male Hebrew children. Now, we understand that the firstborn in Egyptian and Israelite cultures was significant. But the firstborn of Pharaoh was most important. 
Pharaoh was considered a god, the son of Ra, the sun god, for the specific purpose of ruling over Ra's chief concern, the land of Egypt. For the purpose of recreation, the supreme god assumed the form of a living king and gave seed, which was to become the next king and the next son of Ra. To strike any firstborn was to destroy the heir, who embodied the hopes and aspirations of the Egyptians. But to strike the firstborn son of Pharaoh was to destroy this cardinal doctrine of the divine kingship of Egypt. In all the signs and wonders, God is destroying the Egyptian gods. God is showing himself to be the creator of all creation, and all creation bows before him. The terrible cost of rejecting God is the killing of the firstborn. The second thing we read in chapter 3, verse 22, and in chapter 11, verse 2, is the plundering of the enemy. Let me read for us chapter 3, verse 22. It's repeated elsewhere inside our storyline. But verse 22 reads as follows. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold, jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. The second thing we see as concerning the terrible cost of rejecting God is not only the death of the firstborn, but then the plundering of the enemy. Those who reject God shall be destroyed. That's the language. They shall be conquered. What they do have will be taken from them. And the final thing we see is found in chapter 13, verse 13. The extended paragraph is 11 through 16. But listen to the language of chapter 13, verse 13. Every firstborn of the donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. The intent of the storyline, the intent of the imagery, the visual, was to show you the terrible cost of rejecting God. When we reject God, you have the kind of language used, the visual to show just how horrific it indeed is. The death of the firstborn male. The plundering, the conquering of the enemy. The removal of what you have and the breaking of the neck. That's the horrible cost of rejecting God. But the text doesn't end there. The text says that there is a provision made. We see in the text the gracious provision of God. God showed the way in the sacrificing of the innocent offering. Now remember the storyline. God is going to rescue his people. He is going to destroy the enemy. He is going to restore them to the place of rest. But he's going to do it through horrific or terrible judgment. That's how this is going to take place. And he visualizes that. He types it. He shadows it in the story we are now reading. It is the blood of the innocent that would substitute for the life of the firstborn. Those who accepted God's provision would live. Those who rejected God's provision would die. God has done everything necessary for his people to be saved from sin's judgment. The provision of the Passover shields the criminal from destruction, from the destroyer. The firstborn will either be redeemed or destroyed. The Passover overrides all ethnicity or position. It doesn't matter if you are an Egyptian or an Israelite. It doesn't matter whether you are a pharaoh or a slave. What does matter is that you accept God's provision in your behalf. If you accept it, the terrible cost of rejecting God is removed. 
there are two things about the sacrifice that are important to understand and note. The first is this, that the sacrifice is substitutionary. The innocent animal is going to take the place of the unrighteous, the criminal, the ungodly, the guilty. You and I deserve to die. We deserve, as it were, to be conquered. We deserve, as it were, to have our necks broken. We are the criminal. We are the ungodly. We are the unrighteous. We are the guilty. But God. God provides a way. The sacrifice is substitutionary. The innocent is going to take the place of the guilty. The second thing we see, which is tremendous, is that the sacrifice is powerful. It is efficacious or effectual. It is effective. When the innocent is offered and blood is shed, something happens. Absolutely incredible. And I'm wanting us to understand this. You and I are the offender, and we have offended God. You and I are the guilty, we are the criminal, we are the unrighteous, we are the ungodly. We are the ones who deserve to have the firstborn killed, to have our possessions removed, to have our necks broken. But God graciously provides a way, an offering, to remove from us the offense You have these ideas present inside the sacrifice. If I may use the visual, perhaps this will help us understand what is taking place. The text will tell us that the sacrifice functions as a covering. Throughout the scripture, you'll read the language of the offering or the blood covering the sins of the people. I am guilty. I am unrighteous. I am ungodly. I am a criminal. But the offering covers or atones for my sin. So when God sees me, what does he see? The sacrifice. And what does he do? He passes over. That's an amen. Right now, in the eyes of God, because of the blood of Jesus... He passes over and removes from me a judgment that I justly deserve. But not only is it an atonement, but the offended changes his attitude toward me. He is propitiated or placated or appeased. He is satisfied now. Where once he was mad, now he is glad. And why? Because of the blood. Atonement, I am covered. Propitiation, God is now pleased. God is pleased. When God looks upon me, Pat Griffiths, this morning, his wrath against me has been satisfied. It has been met. The sentence has been answered. Propitiation. And yet there is more. Not only is sin atoned, Not only am I covered by this blood and God in wrath passes over, he is now satisfied the sentence against me, but it's expiated. It's removed. As far as the east is from the west, it's cast into the deepest sea. All the shame, all the guilt that I carried 
as an offender, as guilty, as unrighteous and ungodly, as a criminal, is gone before God. And why? Because of the offering. That is what we have in Jesus. Jesus does this for us. And all the passages of Scripture speak to this idea. There's a terrible cost involved. If you refuse and reject God, death of the firstborn, a plundering of the enemy, a breaking of the neck. Now what happens? The gracious provision offered by God. What does that blood do? It atones, covers, it appeases, placates, propitiates. God has now changed his attitude toward me. And it expiates. It removes it completely. But what do we now do with this? Well, three ideas are taught in the text. In chapter 12, verse 13, the Bible reads as follows. The blood shall be a sign. Same word used for plagues shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. We take that offering and we cover the framework of the door so that when the death angel, the destroyer, passes by, he sees the blood and does not give us what we deserve by grace through faith in Yahweh. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Notice verse 14. This day... This day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to Yahweh throughout your generations. As a statute forever, forever you shall keep it as a feast. This moment is to be a sign. See it. This moment is to be a memorial, something that is to be observed, something that is to be kept. We see this idea of it being a memorial in chapter 12, verse 14, verse 17, verse 24, verse 25, chapter 13, verse 10. What is all of this telling us to do? To remember, don't forget. What do we keep repeating over and over and over again to see yourself inside the story? Why? Because you'll leave this place, you'll go out there, and you'll begin to forget and so we gather to be reminded. It's a sign. See it as such. It's a memorial. Observe it. Keep it. And then finally, this is what has gotten me excited, the entire study itself, when you think about what God has done in our behalf. Those who are criminal, those who are ungodly, those who are unrighteous, those who are guilty, He has done this for us. Not because we deserve it, but because He is good. We see that sign, we keep it, we remember it, we observe it. And then notice chapter 12, verses 26 and 27. Again, a constant refrain found throughout the Pentateuch. And when your children say to you, I'll back up to verse 25, and when you come to the land that Yahweh will give you, remember, he's going to rescue his people, he's going to destroy the enemy, but it's not over. He's going to restore them to the land of rest, to the new Eden so that they will dwell with him for their joy. And it says in verse 25, when you come to the land that Yahweh will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service, 
keep coming back to Passover. And why? Notice what happens. As you celebrate this event, as you mark this event, and when your children say to you, as a parent, this is the best moment in time, isn't it? When they say, Mommy, Daddy, what's this whole thing about the cross? Mommy, Daddy, I think I'm a sinner. Can you explain to me how I can escape, as it were, this horrible sin feeling that I have? When you're participating as a family at church and you come up and receive the elements and they say to you, what's this whole thing about the bread? What's this whole thing about the grape juice? You will say to them, it's the sacrifice of Yahweh's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. The Passover event, this feast that they were to keep annually, was not only a family feast done as households, but it was a generational responsibility. They were to teach their children so that their children would teach their children. And that truth would continually go down the ranks and the people would not forget One of our problems that we have as Christians is that we make Christianity a very individual action without seeing how it ties to community. We have to make it personal. We have to believe. But it is a household thing. When you are born physically, you are born as a person, as an individual. But you are born into a family. You were never meant to be isolated and alone. Everything about the Passover feast is communal in nature. There is always an element of concern when I see generations stop attending church. Kids grow up in our church and then leave when they enter high school or college. Coming to church and being a part of the community are part of what it means to be Christian. It is one thing to identify yourself as a Christian individually and quite another thing to identify yourself with and regularly attend a local church as a community. We have become comfortable separating these two ideas. But as parents... We need to teach our children and generations the importance of aligning with the believing community. This is why we have a 9 o'clock hour of instruction for our kids. This is why we have youth activity on Wednesday nights. It's why we run an Awana program. Because we think the truth should be generational. We ought to be passing on what we know to the next generation. Not simply within our own immediate household, which must be taking place, And we do provide materials for that. But at a larger scale, a communal level, as a community, we need to be doing this. This is what Israel was supposed to do. But what did Israel do? Well, they forgot. They forgot to mark Passover. 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 21 and following. King Josiah, you're talking about 500 years later, roughly. It says in 2 Kings 23, verse 21, that the king commanded all the people, saying, Celebrate the Passover to Yahweh your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. They just uncovered the word of God. Surely such a Passover has not been, had not been celebrated from the days of the judges who judged Israel nor in all the days of the kings of Israel or in the kings of Judah. 
Did Israel remember to keep Passover? No. Within a very short period of time, within a generation or two, Israel failed to keep Passover. They forgot. God in mercy spared the nation. They would go into captivity. But the captivity itself would not change the hearts. In fact, Acts chapter 17 verse 30 says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, Jesus, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. In Romans chapter 3, verse 25, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God in his grace, God in his mercy, did not judge the nation in a way that we would have thought. But listen to what it then says. And we have to think about this. In the absence of the Passover, what was to happen? Well, the firstborn was to be destroyed. You had this idea of conquest, of plundering, the idea of neck breaking. But God spared them for generations. They did go into captivity, but the captivity did not change their hearts. Only Jesus would their, change their hearts and their sins would be forgiven. And what's interesting is that 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. What was the nation to do to keep teaching Passover? But they forgot. They went into captivity, but their hearts were still not changed. But all that was a type, all that was a shadow until Jesus. Jesus becomes for us the firstborn. Jesus is the one who bears our sin on the tree. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, he becomes the curse for us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he bears our sin on the tree. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6, he takes our transgressions upon himself. He becomes the recipient of God's wrath. He takes the death of the firstborn the plundering of the enemy, the breaking of the neck. He does that for us. He takes for us the judgment of God against sin. But not only does he take the judgment of God against sin, he becomes that substitutionary sacrifice. He takes our place. He becomes for us a covering. He becomes for us the offering that placates the wrath of God against us. He becomes for us the one who removes our sin so that when the Father looks upon us, he looks upon us with pleasure as his children. This is what God does. And he does it in Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate Passover. What are we to do with the story? Well, first of all, have you accepted God's provision? Now, as a whole, on a regular basis, I talk to people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior from sin and death. 
but we do well to remember what we deserve. We do well to remember that we are criminal, unrighteous, ungodly, guilty. But God graciously provides a substitutionary sacrifice that covers our sins, satisfies the sentence against us, and removes it forever. This is what we have in Jesus, and we would do well to remember such a truth. But perhaps you are visiting us for the first time, or perhaps you've been here for quite a while, and the Spirit of God is taking the Word of God and beginning to do a sure work in you. And you are asking yourself the question, well, have I accepted Jesus? Do I understand that He is my atoning sacrifice? That He is the one who placates God's wrath against me? That only in Jesus can I have my sin removed? And perhaps today you're saying, you know what, I haven't, but I want to. Well, all you have to do is accept the gift that God is giving. God extends and you simply receive. If that's what God is doing in your heart and mind right now, I would love to talk with you afterwards. But the second thing is this. When they as a family of families, when they as a community, as households, came together and celebrated Passover, that celebration was to be a generational truth. It was a generational responsibility. And you and I, as people who have aligned with this local church, have responsibility. We have responsibility not just to teach our kids, but to teach the kids of other kids. And we are to push it outward all the time. And that's why we have 9 o'clock hour. That's why we have the Awana program. That's why we have youth group. We want your children to be a part of it. And all we are doing is reinforcing what they are hopefully hearing at home. We are teaching them the story. And you might say, well, I'm past that. And I'm saying, well, maybe God wants you to help teach. We are always looking for people who will teach, who will be there working with the kids. And in a WANA program, you just have to show up. You can work games. You can work memorization. There's a whole lot that goes on besides the teaching. But we need people watching kids. We need that. But what is all that? Together, it is a generational responsibility being carried out in and through this local church. We want you to be involved. Are you teaching the next generation? There is no greater joy than we can have than to teach the next generation. And I trust that you can be a part of that process. So I pray that as we think of this story, that we would realize in a nutshell that we can't. God can, and Jesus did. And I pray that you believe that is true. Let us pray. Our Father, we hear the story. We see the tenth and horrible plague. We deserve to die. But we also see the gracious provision. We see the blood of the innocent. And when you see the blood, you pass over. Father, our sins in Christ have been atoned. Our sins in Christ have been placated before the Father. He is now satisfied and our sins have been expiated, have been removed. Father, every one of us who have accepted Jesus have received all of these benefits. May we understand that, and may we live in light of that freedom. And Father, may we be passionate and excited about teaching the next generation. May we get on board as we can and communicate these truths. Father, there are so many different things that need to be done. And may we be 
looking to you to see that happen. Father, if there's anyone here that does not know Jesus as their Savior from sin and death, I pray that today they would be moved in such a way as to answer that question and to carry out that act and to receive that gift. Thank you, Father, for this time together as your people. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.